The following episode contains discussions of drugs, drug abuse, and the impact drugs have on families and society, including mentions of overdoses. Welcome, everyone. I'm Connor, and that's Doug, and this is going to be a really special episode of the Bethel School District Presents podcast. It is last year Connor and I sat down with a Pierce County deputy and a DEA agent to talk about the dangers of fentanyl, vaping, and other drugs on a special episode called One Pill Can Kill, and today we're going to continue that conversation with someone whose life was impacted, basically interrupted, by addiction. And also joining us today is Kristen Dahl. Kristen teaches biomedical sciences, sports medicine, and other health classes at Spanaway Lake High School. And Kristen, our other guest is someone you've known for a long time. Would you like to introduce her? Absolutely. Uh, it is a pleasure for me to introduce my friend Jody Borelli. Jody and I went to high school together. We were Puyallup Vikings. Jody was a year older than me, so she was somebody that I looked up to. We started having kids. We got married. We were soccer moms, baseball moms, all of those different things. And so I kind of knew what was happening in Jody's life. And then all of a sudden, there was kind of this blank in our relationship. I kind of attribute it to the fact that I knew most of her chapters of her life because they were very similar to mine. And then all of a sudden, there were blank pages. And so Jody contacted me and was like, Kristen, I don't know if you know my story, but I have been drug impacted. And some things have happened that are not what you knew about and she knew I was a health educator. And so she really was passionate about coming and sharing her story with my kids. And so that's where our chapter begins today is that we are filling in those blank pages of those years that I missed with Jody. And she came and spoke to my students and it was life changing. Wonderfully said. Jody, thank you so much for being here. I had the pleasure to sit in on your presentation to several classes here at Spanaway Lake High School and was moved by your story along with the students and, and their reaction to your story afterwards. Let's bring our audience up to speed. Would you share with us how you went from being a soccer mom to ending up on literally Washington's Most Wanted? My story is not unique. I was part of the overprescribing by doctors due to unethical marketing practices by Big Pharma. I knew nothing about addiction, and addiction was the furthest thing from my mind. I blew out my shoulder and was prescribed pain medication by my doctor. I started out with 5 milligram Vicodin and progressed up to 30 milligram oxycodone. Along the way, I had been in and out of hospitals for stomach issues, misdiagnosed for Crohn's disease, and ended up having my gallbladder out, when in fact I was experiencing withdrawal. This happened because there wasn't a central reporting agency for controlled substances like there is now. As my addiction progressed, I was unable to satisfy my growing hunger for opioids. I went to treatment for the first time and learned that you could snort and smoke pills. This led me to buying pills off the street and progressed finally to heroin. At that point, I had left my family and needed a way to acquire heroin. Girls on the streets typically have three options. One, you can become a dealer, but I had no self-control. That wasn't an option for me. Two, you could sell yourself, and that was a line I was not willing to cross. Or three, you could acquire items to sell, which ultimately is what landed me on Washington's Most Wanted. My biggest fear was becoming dope sick. Withdrawal is miserable, and an addict will do anything to avoid being dope sick. Opioids become our air, and we feel like we will die without them. 
I became brazen in my attempts to steal, which ultimately landed me on the Washington's most wanted list, Ulta Thief Capture Number 805. Wow, Jody, that is really powerful. And you told our students that you were booked into jail 20 times and spent significant birthdays there, including your 40th, which you spent on suicide watch. You also recounted a Christmas story from jail that was very powerful. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yes. What I didn't share was how I ended up on suicide watch on my 40th birthday. I was told that I was going to be in a cell alone, and that was my biggest fear. So what I did instead was I climbed over the rail and threatened to jump off. And what that did was that landed me in a cell alone on suicide watch. Christmas Eve 2015, I sat on my top bunk while 50-plus women sat crisscross applesauce on the floor of Pod 2A while I read them, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." Holding on to every word I read, every one of them lost in the story, the words from that book washed over us all in a way that none of us that were there that Christmas Eve will ever forget. Many of the women had never had the story read to them on Christmas Eve. The joy that that brought me was incredible, and I cherish that moment forever. Before we go any farther, Jody, I thanked you earlier for joining us, and I really want to thank you for sharing your story. It cannot be easy to relive this. And now we're going to get to it later. That's what, that's what you do is, is you talk to groups and share your story so that hopefully people can learn from it or at least find hope in it if they have a family member that's suffering. Your descent into addiction started with prescription medication, like you said, for an arm injury. Kristen, you told me that's a common injury that you teach students about in your sports medicine class. Do you also cover the dangers of addiction in class? And how'd you come to invite Jody to speak to your students? One of the things that we sports med teachers in our district are pretty passionate about is making sure that we talk about what happens after injury. In sports med, we talk about the biomechanics, the anatomy, but there are so many things that happen that are not being spoken about out in the public. I also teach family health, and I also teach nutrition and fitness and biomed classes, and so addiction is on the forefront for me. And knowing that this is from over-prescriptions and over-prescribing by our medical professionals, I want to talk about it. Our kids think drugs are okay. They're like, Ms. Dahl, pot is not a big deal right? I'm hitting the vape. It's fine. But they don't understand that they are the great experiment. We don't know the ramifications of all of this. And that is what Jody lived, is she lived in that denial that you can't get addicted to opioids. That, that, that's how they were over-marketing to her, is they literally were saying, you can't get addicted to this one. This one is safe. There is no safe drug. And so that's one of the things that's passionate for me, teaching here at Spanaway Lake is teaching my students that whether it's from injury or for joy, supposedly, is what they all think they're using for, we can't let the human brain go down that road. And so again, Jody kind of connected with me, telling me that she had been through this. I'm actually sitting here listening to her story of December of 2015, and it's crazy because that was my first year here at Spanaway Lake. And so I just... I'm listening to how different our stories were for that year. And so I'm so thankful that you reached out to me because I just needed someone to, to be a face of this for our students. And unfortunately, a lot of them have parents or loved ones that have gone through addiction and have yet 
to come out on the other side. And so I felt it was very, very important to have Jody come and speak with all of my classes and invited other classes because it's just so necessary right now. Absolutely. And, you know, when we see these stories on the news about addiction, a lot of the time, most of the time, in fact, it ends in tragedy. And we rarely hear stories that end in hopeful messages. Jody, your story gave hope to students with family members struggling with addiction. And after you were done speaking, many of those students found you and you talked to them. And some of these were students with family members also navigating some of the things that you've gone through. What message or advice did you give to these kids? Well, first off, I wanted to make sure that they were okay. There was one girl in particular that was wiping tears the entire time that I spoke. And she's the first one that when I was done, I raced off the stage and went and gave her a hug and just asked her, are you okay? I hope I didn't trigger you from something that you've gone through. And she looked at me and said, no, you give me hope for my auntie. And I think that you're right, that we don't hear many stories of hope and inspiration. Most of them are overdose deaths and, and what's happening and all the despair and whatnot. So having some inspiration and a little bit of hope was, I think, such a alternative to what, what we're used to hearing. And, you know, each uh, one of the students that I spoke to afterwards, they each shared that I gave them hope for a different family member. I heard auntie, I heard mom, I heard cousin, and I heard brother. And that, to me, is exactly why I want to share my story, and especially for kids, because there is a population of children today that are like my kids. My kids were without their mom for, well, Joseph and Angelina were without me through all of their middle school and all of their high school. I didn't get to see not one of my three children graduate high school because of my, I was on the streets and, you know, going through my addiction. And I just want them to know that there is hope and that we can overcome and we do recover. Getting to sit in on your presentation and you brought up you're a soccer mom and then you went into your story. It was one of my first questions. What about your kids? Again, thank you for being so open so that other people can learn from your story. Rebuilding trust has to be one of the most challenging aspects of recovery. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe offer some of the hope we're talking about to people with those moms and cousins and aunts? What's amazing is that's always the first question that I get anytime I speak. And when I speak at Rotary or if I speak at Chamber of Commerce or even speaking at the kids here at Spanaway Lake, the first question is always, what is your relationship like with your kids? Well, the problem is, is that rebuilding relationships takes time and relationships do not go back to where they were. It's kind of like a wire coat hanger. If you undo it and manipulate it, it never goes back to what it was. It's bent. Doesn't mean it's not good. It doesn't mean it's not fulfilling, but it's just different. And it's not the same that as it would have been or as it was. My kids are, you know, I have different relationships with all three of my kids. My oldest and my youngest, I have kind of transcended and we have worked through some things and I get to spend time with them. My middle child, he is still, and he has every right to still be angry with me. And we have not fully mended that. We did it first, and that's the whole thing about addiction and recovery. Nothing's linear. You can take five steps forward, and you can go sideways, upside down, and take another step back. And that's OK, because we're, it's, we're dealing with emotions and trauma and um, expectations. 
And expectations are hard because they typically lead to resentments. And yeah, you know, relationships with my kids, I'm, they all tell me that they love me. I've, I'm able to talk to all of them on holidays, but just the, the amount of time that I get with each one is not, it's never going to be what I want because I want them the way I had them when they were young and I want them all the time. I want all the minutes and um, I'm fighting for them. And that's why I keep doing what I'm doing and I keep seeking and reaching these goals and trying to share my story so that there is an understanding within the community because I think one of the hardest things, especially as a mom, is that mom guilt. And having gone through what I've gone through, it's kind of one of my superpowers when I'm working with clients is talking with them and sharing my experience to where they understand that, you know what, it's not going to be perfect. It's not the way that, okay, we're back. I'm not using drugs anymore. Why aren't you just here in my life and at everything? Or why am I not getting invited to everything? Because a 10-year kind of like a hiking. I'm a mountain climber, so a 10-mile hike in is a 10-mile hike out, okay? But with recovery, this analogy that I give, a 10-year trek in does not mean it's going to take 10 years to come back out to rectify things. There's ways to get down the mountain faster. If you're a mountain climber, you know glissading is the great way to get down. It's a lot easier on the joints, it's swift, and it's fun, (laughs) but it cuts down a lot of the miles. And so it's a long journey, and it's not it's not linear and it's not time bound. So it's, it's, it's interesting with the way the dynamics of family works because there's a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, and then there needs to be a lot of therapy, right? We need to re, like reframe our brain. We need to gain an understanding. We need to learn different coping strategies on my side and on, on my family's side on how we recover as a family unit. And I think that is the hardest thing for me to kind of overcome is that I'm, I'm still working hard at it, but it's not that picture perfect life that I once had with my children when they were little. So during your presentation, you painted a pretty visceral picture of addiction from being narcan yourself to panhandling, but walking down Pacific Highway with a cart full of stolen items sounded like a real turning point for you. Can you describe what it was like to finally reach out for help in that moment? Absolutely. I had a friend that had reached out to me when I was in jail, and I came out to a message on Facebook saying, if you ever need anything, give me a call. And I did. At that time, I was living in a clean and sober house, and I needed rides to check into DOC because I had to check in quite frequently at first, and it was a distance. And so I would get rides, and then I ended up going back out, which is what commonly happens. I mean, it takes on average, and this is per a Harvard study, that it takes on average five to seven attempts over a course of eight years to gain one year of sobriety. And this is before fentanyl, that's heroin, that's my generation of drugs. So fentanyl, it is compounded. I was pushing a shopping cart down Pacific Avenue because I had stolen a bunch of of stuff and the house that I was at, the people were probably about to rob me and I I had that gift of fear. I understood what was about to happen. And so I 
somehow ended up with a shopping cart and was pushing all of all of these items down down the road and it was late at night it was about 10 o'clock and there were two cars that were circling me and I kept seeing the one that stood out and that I remember the most is there was a black Mercedes and it had blacked out windows and it would circle and then park and no windows ever rolled down but I was just like what the heck after the second time that that had happened, I just kind of beelined it. There was a bar, and I beelined it to the bar and ran in crying and asked if I could use their phone because I was afraid for my safety. And this wasn't the first time people were circling me because I, being on Washington's Most Wanted, there was a $1,000 reward, and it kind of, I, I find it humorous now that people that were drug addicts and dealers thought that, oh, I can just turn her in and get the, get the reward. Probably not. I don't think that's really the way it works. So I, I reached out to that same individual that had offered me help, and he came and picked me up, took me to his house out here actually in Spanaway, and let me detox. And... I knew that I needed to turn myself in. Washington's Most Wanted, going to prison was very fearful. I'd been in and out of jail. I mentioned that in my, in my speech that over 20 times, 23 to be exact. And county was sucked, but I mean, it was fine. I knew it. So I wasn't, I wasn't fearful of going. I was always just scared of like going through withdrawal. But prison actually terrified me. And I figured if you're on Washington's Most Wanted, you're definitely going to prison. Like, how can you not? So I reached out to him. I was on, I think it was like day seven of detoxing. And I, I didn't turn myself in. I woke up to police officers standing over me. They ended up making the call, which, right, thank goodness. And I, I need to reach out to this individual and say thank you because it, it's what saved my life. And went to jail. I went to jail for, I think it was three months on that in Pierce County. And then when I got out, he still was there to offer me help. He was that olive branch. And I was able to move up to Bellingham with assistance. And that's where my recovery began. I was able to get plucked out of the environment where I was sick, where I was using, that was triggering. And started a new life. I was court ordered to attend treatment and that's where I went to DOC up in Bellingham. They sent me to Catholic Community Services and I did intensive outpatient. I told my counselor at that time that, hey, I do not want to go through this quickly. I am very capable of doing the 28-day bubble. That's fine, but it's the coping skills and the learning new skills to live life that's not that addict lifestyle. And he was like, okay. So I stayed in IOP for a full year. That was three hours at a time, three times a week. And I loved it. It gave me a purpose. I was able to get up and get ready. And it felt like I was almost going to school again, you know. And there was excitement there. I was creating a community because the antidote to addiction is community. It's addictions and isolating disease and community is the cure. And when you connect yourself with the right community and the right individuals, then you're gonna thrive. And that counselor, he's actually now the head of drug court up there, and a very close friend, but he's the one who recommended that I go and be a drug and alcohol counselor. He's like, you would be really good at this. I see how you mentor individuals in group and how you are just always there to be of support and to help. 
And so that's, I did, and I, I applied and went to Whatcom Community College and did the substance use disorder professional program, graduated summa cum laude, won public speaking award. That was the best decision I ever made was summer quarter taking a public speaking course. And I knew at that point that everything that I did for research and speaking was going to be around this topic of addiction because it needed to be. And it was my calling. And I am so grateful for my public speaking professor as well, who absolutely changed my life. Jody, you talked about community, and I'm glad that you did. You also brought up fentanyl, and that's two things I want to talk about now. Fentanyl is so cheap and so easy to find. It's even online. Kristen, you mentioned to me that students today, they're constantly searching for a sense of community online. What insights do you think educators and parents need to understand about the digital world that children are navigating? Oh, that is a loaded question. There are so many branches to what's happening online. I walk the halls of Spanaway Lake and I hear what our kids are saying. I always tease them that like, I hear the tea that you are spilling. And it scares me. It scares me the things that the kids think is okay in today's society. The addictions that they have to technology, to pornography, and then leading towards drugs that they think are fine. I really wish that more people could walk our halls and hear the conversations and just understand that a lot of these substances and technologies have been romanticized to such a level. I even have kids listen to music, side note. I have kids listen to music to hear all of the sensationalized and romanticized parts of drugs and alcohol. And kids don't even realize how that is massaging. And you said it, Jody. it is tenderizing their brains to think that these things are okay, which then leads to addiction. And we just came out of isolation. And so with the COVID closure and trying to get students back into actual face-to-face conversations and out of their digital mediums is something that I work every day for. The first thing that I do is that I start by teaching them about their brain. And I really would love an opportunity to teach parents about brain and how brains are always seeking, whether it's dopamine, whether it is oxytocin, which is love, which is what brings community. So that is the start, is being able to teach kids and families about how they react to these different stimuli, because that's what this digital world is. It's little hits of dopamine, that little vibration of a text message. Ooh, could be my boo thing. The little, the little, you know, nudge of all the likes on social media, right? That builds that self-esteem. On the flip side of that is if you have kids who are feeling isolated, the access, you just click, are you 21? There's no there's no checks and balances on this in any way, shape, or form. And so as parents, as educators, we have to we have to be one step ahead. And that's hard because we all think that our our child would never do this. Our our perfect little angels would not do it. And our kids are really good at hiding. So it's just we need more community involvement, more community education. I truly believe that we need more education for the humans that love our students. It's not always parents. Sometimes it's grandma. Sometimes it's auntie. Sometimes it's a godparent raising them. And so we as a district need to find ways to be able to help them. 
the flip side of that, I get a lot of pushback where people are, that's not our responsibility, that's not our job. But it is because it takes a community to help a community. And when we turn our back, then we are just letting our students walk into these different things. One thing that we need is a thir- what we call a third space, right? We have our family home mm-hmm. life, then we have school, or us adults have family and then work. We all need that third space, that space of community, where people are there just for community support and love. How do we create that? That great brainstorming idea. I love it, but we need a third space. Jody, your story is so powerful, and now you're moving on to better things and a bigger life, one built on helping others. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing now? Well, I'm a fierce advocate for those struggling with addiction. Currently, I work at a medication-assisted treatment center, also known as a methadone clinic, helping those struggle with addiction. Most of my clients are addicted to fentanyl. I'm a public speaker sharing on the topics of addiction, harm reduction, fentanyl, Narcan, and my story of resiliency and hope. My current goal is simple. I want to start a conversation. I want to normalize the topic of addiction and reduce the stigma surrounding it. Too many of our kids are dying from fentanyl. My goal is to inspire young people to stay drug-free, take action, and to empower them with the tools necessary to save someone's life, including their own. I am also a member of the Pierce County Opioid Task Force, participating in community events to raise awareness and distribute Narcan. I run a small business, Jody Borelli Coaching, which can be found at jodyborelli.com, where I work with those struggling with addiction and teach mindset and breathwork skills. My overall goal is to inspire and provide hope to such a hopeless disease. Hearing you speak to the students and now hearing you speak today, I know that you are working hard towards that goal. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Kristen, thank you so much for helping us set this up. Any last thoughts from you? I'm so thankful that Jody and I got to reconnect. It was actually a total class reunion when she was here because there's a couple other Puyallup High School grads and some dear friends came to support her when she was speaking. And so that is a huge message that my students felt too is that even though sometimes people walk through fire, they can come out the other side and to be able to have these connections, it's really powerful. We, we were friends when we were 15 and it's so exciting that we get to have this second chance and that she can make such an impact in my community of students at Spanaway Lake as well as our community in Pierce County. Thank you again to Kristen Dahl and Jody Borelli for joining us today, especially to Jody for being willing to open up her life, share her story in the hope of helping others. There's a lot of good information online where you can learn more about drug addiction. One place to start is the DEA's website, dea.gov slash one pill. Thanks everyone for listening. Be safe and as always, look out for each other.